Five, yep. Boom. Ten, four. Recording in progress. Um, all right, well, good morning, 10-4. Me and Austin just woke up. Adrian has had a full day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Um, what up, boys? Nice to see you. <laughs> nothing much. It's good to see you, too, man. Well, uh, we can just start off we how go. we do most of them. Just a little quick introduction. Uh, how long you've been riding, who you are, where you're from. Just let okay. the people know. So my name is Adrian Schreier. Um, I come from the Czech Republic, Prague to be specific, but I lived in Berlin, Germany for about four or five years. So I spent quite a bit of time there. I mean, I rode, I started riding scooters since 2008, I think. So way back when we were riding the foldables and bolting them together and stuff. And yeah, I mean, most people probably know me or knew me uh, through some of my brands and some of my activity with other shops and other people. So I guess to start in the beginning, I used to work for Scoot Shop, which is uh, the number two scooter shop here in the Czech Republic. was pretty much there since the beginning. Then I transitioned to scootforlife.com, which used to be like an online magazine, mostly in Czech, uh, even like interviewed Raymond Warner and stuff like that. So that was cool. And then around 2012, I decided that I want to start my own scooter brand because I've just seen a big gap in the market and I thought I could fill it. Hmm. And then 2014, we launched Analog Scooter Co. Uh, Some of the OGs might remember. Probably not many, many young kids will remember because it's been a while. But yeah, we pretty much first came out with pegs. Uh, They were stainless steel. Nobody's ever done that before. They, They slid really well. And I mean, they were stainless, so they wouldn't rust. So that was a nice thing. Um, and yeah, the company went pretty well. And then we we came out with the T-bars that had like the little nubbin on top. So the idea was that instead of welding the two bars together, you would slide one through the other, just weld it so it just stays in place and doesn't move around. And all the structural integrity would be from that pretty much pivot point instead of having it on top. So that really took off back in the day. I mean, people really liked it. I mean, most people did. But then uh, obviously there were people that would, you know, complain about them hitting their head on top of the bar. But then again, if you're going to hit your head, I mean, you're going to get a concussion anyway. So that's not really how the product's supposed to be used. But yeah, yeah anyways. I, uh, so... I think if you hit your head on the top of your bars, it's your fault. <laughs> Skill yeah. issue. I don't think I mean, it's the, the bar in the center. I mean, in the beginning, the we didn't really have like a top cap. And granted, there were a few bars that weren't rounded off the way they were supposed to be from the factory. But then V2s already had had like a full top cap. So that really, you couldn't really cut yourself. The worst case scenario hit your head. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that product did pretty well. But then there was a few things that went wrong with the factory few things wrong on my end as well. I mean, granted, I was still, what, 18, 19 when I was running it. So I really didn't have the foresight uh, that I have now. And unfortunately, the company went bankrupt in 2017. Uh, it was a shit show, but it taught me a valuable life lesson. And I was like, okay, so this failed. Spent two years sort of making ends meet in a way that uh i can still sort of take care of the obligations i had because yeah. obviously during the shit show i i owed some money so i didn't i didn't really want to just bounce even though in theory i could but i didn't want to so i paid every, everything off and then yeah i mean there's people that see scooters as just a hobby 
maybe for a few years. And then there's idiots like me that just have it as a lifestyle and just can't really get rid of it any way they can. So uh, I spent two years thinking how I can get back to it because I really missed like the feeling of having your own product in your hand. And I came up with the idea of doing a wheel brand because I felt like there was quite a bit of things we could do better for wheels in general. And that's where the idea of vinyl scootering was born. And that's, I guess, how everybody, I guess, knows me, maybe doesn't know me. I'm not really pushing myself that much on like with the brand. I just like the brand to be out there, not myself anymore that much. But yeah, I'm the guy behind vinyl scootering. Yeah, man. I mean, we had the pleasure of talking to you for a little bit over FaceTime um, just to get to learn about vinyl a little bit more. Uh, and you're very passionate about scootering. So it's cool to, and, and you bring a new perspective because you've been one around a very long time. And then two, you've, uh, you've gone through the trials and tribulations of owning a company and doing all that. You've, you've been through the ringer. So I really just want to like, I want people to know uh, what to expect if they choose to start a company within scootering, uh, maybe some tips, some things they can learn mm -hmm. from. I mean, like, that way they don't make some of the mistakes that you made or what they okay. need to watch out for in the future. Just that's well, a, yeah. That's a very broad question. <laughs> very broad. Well, let's say, let's start off with this. I mean, what's been the, uh, the biggest struggle when it comes to running a company and scootering? Oof. I mean, there were a few. Um, okay. I'd say number one, if you're like me and you want to have product that's really yours, instead of going to China and slapping a logo on an already made product, like mm -hmm. what a few brands are doing, uh -huh. mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you need uh, you need to have some money behind you, number one. Uh, to put it in, into perspective, uh, when you're, for example, making a deck, right? The forging die for, if you're going to forge a deck, that is, uh, that can be between five and $25,000 just for that die. Uh, and then you have, obviously, you're going to have minimal order quantities and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, if you're really trying to start a company, uh, I mean, first of all, you got to sort of think about what you want to do. If you want to go and be like a full-blown scooter brand with all the parts, completes, all that. Or if you want to like be a niche brand and focus on a few things that maybe you have better than anybody else. That's right. the number one like difference, I'd say. If you want to do like an all-out big brand, I wouldn't do it if I didn't have at least $20,000, bottom line. Because as, as I said, if you want to have an original product, that means you're going to probably want to come up with a deck that's going to be $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 in molding easy. You're going to have minimal order quantities. So the factories usually won't make anything under 800, maybe 1,000 units. So that's at say 30 35 dollars a deck you, you can do the math yeah um so that's number one but number two it is just sort of doing the right mix between marketing with the writers and staying true to being writer owned and to the culture and making it a successful business because it's no it's no sort of secret that this industry as opposed to many other industries outside of sports, say agriculture, for example, it goes to like a five-year five year cycle. 
And that five-year cycle like copies directly the economic cycle. So pretty much when shit hits the fan, uh, scooters, skateboards, bikes, all that are the first to take the hit. It's the last thing you're going to buy when you don't have money to buy food, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. for, for me, over the 2014, yeah, nine years that I've been doing this, uh, I guess the number one thing if you want to be successful is just thinking long-term. There's so many brands out there that just do it for the now, invest money into the now, and then spend big time on flying out people, paying riders, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying paying riders is bad by any means, but they sort of do this, spend all that money elsewhere, and then shit hits the fan again. There is a big downturn. And in scootering, it's not a downturn like 10, 15%. You're talking one day, you're selling containers. The other, you're selling boxes, and the next week, you're selling units of product. It's that bad. And then, you know, this this sort of tribulation come, and yeah, they're just not able to to withstand that. And they usually are gone within a year, year and a half, because they, they, they keep struggling. So the first thing they do is they would go back to China, order titanium bars, or whatever other popular product there is, slap the logo to keep, them, to keep themselves alive, lose their identity by doing this lose riders because the riders are not backing what they're doing and the cycle just repeats itself. So yeah. I guess get money behind you. Uh, don't do it unless you have solid ideas for products because there's so many brands out there that just copy paste everyone else. And yeah, when you have that dialed in and when you actually some, have some technical knowledge about how the products are made and what factory to use, for example, then do it. But yeah, I mean that's that's a very broad answer to your specific yeah. question. I mean, yeah, that's good. It's a good answer though. Yeah, I, I definitely. Mean, you know, yeah. when you when you look at, for example, us both analog and vinyl, with both brands, I took two years to prepare, and there are so many people that think, "Oh, I want a scooter brand in January," and in summer they're already pumping out product. So yeah, yeah, you got to prototype and test your shit figure out your profit margins do exactly. all that shit figure out figure out who you want to work with that's in my opinion number one even before product even before all that you want to think to yourself okay i have i'm going to go into business with people where i'm going to be exchanging tens later down the road maybe thousands hundreds or thousands of dollars over a, a few years do i really have the right people that i can trust to do the job right number one because if you don't have that, you can have a great product, you can have a great team. But if you don't have that network behind you to push the product across the world, it's not going to work. True. Yeah. Um, okay, well, dude, what era did you start riding in? What year? 2008. 2008. So, 2008. To sort of put it in perspective, 2008, uh, what you could ride. JD Bucks, Micro Bullets. Some <laughs> companies were already a thing. TSI was starting up back then, I think. Uh, Proto was already on the come up, but I don't, I'm not sure if they were branded. I think they start 2009. But yeah, I started 2008, rode for like a year, broke my scooter in like literally three parts. And there was nothing to write back then. I was like, hey, I don't have money to buy a new scooter. My parents not, are not going to buy me a new scooter every month. So I stopped riding, came back 2010. That's when mm -hmm. the first Ultra Pro came out. I was literally walking from school and I see a guy from my school riding an ultra pro. I literally stop him asking what the hell is this? Realize Chased it's him a, down. 
it's actually like a one piece deck mind blown i'm like i'm bad bitches <laughs> yeah that's uh, yeah <laughs> so, yeah my yeah my first setup was like an ultra pro with animal edvin de la rosa grips and i remember the ultra pros came like 60 centimeters high with the, the bars and it was just so tall for me back in the day so i had to go back to the shop where i bought it and they would cut it down for me so nice Hell yeah. yeah i mean yeah. credit headsets as well <laughs> Oh yeah, those were terrible. Oh yeah, garbage, dude. When did you found analog? Uh, I was twenty fourteen, uh, so twenty twelve. Started thinking about it, and then twenty fourteen, I had the first sort of team and a couple of pegs that were made in Czech Republic. Because even with analog in the beginning, I wanted to do it like in Czech Republic completely. I didn't mm -hmm. want to go to China, but I remember very clearly. 2014 um i went to like local because in 2014 that was around the time when um due to some family issues i was uh, sort of slowly coming back to czech republic from berlin because my my, my uh, family stayed in berlin to live with my grandparents and i remember like staying at my grandparents for like a holiday and going to this local small factory like where they have like cnc machines and stuff with my little drawing on an A4 and like, Hey, I have this product. Could you make it for me? It's like, he just looked at it. It's like, how much of that do you want? Like 500. And at that point I was like, I'm going to tell him 500, let him give me the pricing and then sort of go back with him to go like 200 maybe. And he's like, well, at three zeros and come back and just literally handed me the drawing and shut the door in my face. And I was Damn. just standing there and my granddad was in the car watching. I just turned around like, <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> so yeah, I went back to the car. I think I was pretty close to crying as well. Cause you know, like you go there all excited. Yeah, yeah. Thing. To pitch your like, idea. Yeah, pretty much. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Bro. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> that hurt. That yeah. really hurt. Doesn't. <laughs> but yeah i mean i yeah, was what, I mean, 16 17 so you fucking try to do it a lot of people don't even do that man you fucking you walked into the shop at least you had the balls to get that shit done instead of ordering it online yeah, and i mean Alibaba. i was scared as hell yeah but <laughs> hey you know like it was it was an experience but i knew of china uh i used to work for chili scooters for about six months before i realized they were assholes Mm. Uh, uh, and that's the old chili scooters. Not, I, I think they were bought up, and I'm not sure who's running it now. So I might be wrong. But yeah, shots fired. Still trash <laughs> scooters. Yeah. So I knew that China was a thing, and I knew that's what everybody was doing. But yeah, I wanted to stay true, so I, I tried Czech Republic at first. But yeah, I got a few. I got a few units made through like my granddad's friend because he was like, "Hey, I remember," because my granddad he is a carpenter but like an artistic carpenter. So he would, for example, work on the chairs for the Prague castle and that sort of thing. Oh, hell yeah. And he, I mean, he would do like a lot of church work as well, uh, restoring old churches. And he was yeah. like, Hey, I remember this one guy, he, he would weld stainless steel for, for one of the jobs that I was doing. Let's try and go talk to him. So we drove there like the next day because my granddad he is a G like he saw me in pretty much in tears. So it's like, I got to fix this. So we go to this guy and it's like a typical Eastern European village dude. 
welding in his garage, drinking beer, smoking like a pack a pack every hour. He's like, well, son, what do you want? I'm like, um, I need this to be done on a lathe. And while you weld, can you make bars? And he's like, what do you mean bars? So I explained him the idea of, of a scooter bar and stuff like that. He's like, well, all right, well, get the material. I'll try and weld it, right? So yeah, uh, I got the material, got that first prototype, welded it. Uh, and through one of his friends, we were able to make like, I don't know, 30 pegs, something like that. And they were chunky. The, the wall thickness was like three and a half, four millimeters. So oh. you could barely stick a ratchet in, like barely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like they were heavy. They're like 60 grams each or something stupid like that. <laughs> but, uh, or yeah, no, no, 120. 120 because 60 grams were the were the v2s okay uh, yeah i gave it to, to, to the team and i remember around the time when i was because then i went back to berlin for a bit and then was my time to actually leave berlin and one of my good friends uh, from school uh, keep in mind this i'm like 16 17 now he i told him about the idea that i have some prototypes but that we would really need to go on tour with the team at the time which was pretty much just check riders but good ones too and but that i don't have the money right we're planning to go from like prague uh to slovakia to bratislava uh through austria like vienna and then back to back to prague and i remember him telling me hey don't worry about it i'm gonna help you out I'm like what do you mean you're gonna help me out he's like don't worry about it i got it and i remember his mom had like a factory for lights in berlin so he would work there as a side job to make money and like the, I think the day before uh, I was supposed to leave for Czech Republic for good, I get I get a call from him. He's like, meet me at the train station. So I go to the train station and he just hands me 300 euros. He's like, there you go, bro. You can go on tour now. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't have the means to even pay you back. He's like, don't worry about it. Just go on tour. Good luck. Damn. So shout out Valentin Kamratovsky. Uh, I still remember that. I'll give it back to you one day. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, I mean, we went on tour, shot a shot a video, and that was like the official beginning of the brand. But yeah, very soon after, uh, a lot of the team left just because I didn't really have the means to fund a full like a full production run of anything. And there was a different brand starting up in Czech Republic back then, so they went all went there. And then I was back to zero. Actually, I had no team. I had like two guys left. I had no product. And yeah, that was 2012. And then two years later, 2014, I was able to restart it. Uh, met uh, the owner, well, one of the owners of Ethic, Kevin, when they when they came to the Prague Street Gym. Pretty much just sat next to him and like talked to him for like an hour straight about this. Uh, he realized, hey, maybe this guy's got some good ideas. So he put me in touch with their factory in China. And coincidentally, like a week later, uh, we have a surprise visit at my grandparents' house from like an old family friend that knew me from back when his, his wife used to be the, the director of my kindergarten. Like that's how far back we would go. And he was, he was an accountant. So I pretty much went to him like, Hey, I have this idea. I know it's going to work. I thought it through like a thousand times. So he's like, okay, well, I'll give you a deal. I'll, I'll talk to my wife about this and I'll come back in like a week. So they come back in a week. He's like, so here's the deal. Go back to high school, finish high school. And as long as you stay in school, I'm going to help you start the company. I'm going to give you some money in the beginning. I'm going to let you run it through my company. 
And then when you're ready, you can do it on your own. I was like, deal. And that's where Sweet. I want to start it. So you dropped out of high school? Uh, I had to drop out of high school because when I was, we moved to Berlin when I was like 14. Mm-hmm. And I had a pretty rough childhood in terms of just growing up. I mean, I'm an ADHD kid. Uh, and uh, let's say the family dynamic wasn't always ideal. Uh, but yeah. yeah, we somehow made it all the way to Berlin where my dad had a job. And I mean, you know, you took, you take a 14 year old kid from everything he knows, even though it wasn't awesome, but it was something to a completely new country, completely new city. Uh, I used to go to a German school here in Prague. And then all of a sudden I go to an international school that's in English. Keep in mind, mm. I've been switching to German for the last two years. So my German was dominant. My English was all the way in the back. Yeah. So I struggled for a bit in school, but luckily, thanks to my ability to learn languages pretty fast, I somehow like made it and I was somewhat happy. But then like the true puberty hit and I mean, chronic depression, anxiety. I'm not, you know, I don't really talk about it that often, but since we are here, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit it. I was suicidal at some point. So yeah. Uh, yeah, everything just pretty much started shutting down around me. And I made it to all the way through IGCSE, which is like the the first step to go to an IB program, which is like the international, I can't even pronounce that. Like It's like an international diploma, high school type thing that allows you to even like skip year one of uni at certain universities, like the best there is, right? Yeah. So I even made it to just before that. And they said, hey, it's not an issue of him being not intelligent enough. Like he's got everything he needs to do it. But with his current mental state, it's so mentally challenging for people that are just fine. And he's not really fine right now. So maybe this is not the greatest idea. So yeah, I had to go back to Czech Republic. And I went back to like a regular high school that was uh, focused on accounting. And yeah, I finished. I went straight into year two because we, got, we have a four-year programs here. So yeah, I was able to graduate high school in three years while running out, yeah. while flying to China, while going on trips. It was, it was crazy. Perseverance. Yeah. That's so dope, f- man. Yeah, yeah, that is sick. I mean, that's fucking wild that you had to. I mean, I grew up in a military town, so I've been around a lot of people that have had to move and just like new to schools yeah. and blah, 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 hear all those stories, but they never had to learn a whole ass language. So... <laughs> I mean, I knew English. I I, I mean, I, I had English lessons like private too yeah. since I was maybe twelve. So I like English wasn't like a new thing for me. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, like since I was tw- eleven, I started learning German to go to a gymnasium. So the way it works here is you go through five years of school, and then you can either go stay in that what we call an elementary school for another four years so it's like a nine-year program or you can split at year at year five and do year six seven eight nine at either a high school or a gymnasium and a gymnasium is for the guy for the kids that want to go to college it's like that sort of highest level there is okay so so since i was 11 i was preparing i was learning german and preparing to apply for a german gymnasium here in prague where pretty much half the subjects were in czech half, half the subjects were in german so I did two years of that. I did year six, year seven, and then year eight, year nine, year 10, I had to do it English. 
So I went two years German, three years English. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I would speak Czech at home, speak German in the skate park and speak English at, at school. So Jesus, <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Got you dialed, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. What what language do you think in? That's a, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> Damn. It, it depends. It depends. Uh, but mm. when I like. When I go through my thoughts, it's it's a 50-50 split between English and Czech. Okay. Because uh, during the shitty time in Berlin, um, my uh, English teacher uh, sort of took me in and they were acting like sort of like my foster parents in a way for like a month at a time or whatever. And I mean, she was Dutch, but her, her husband, Kevin, is American. So I pretty much spent even more time in, in an English-speaking environment. So for me, it's a 50-50. When I came back to Czech Republic, I pretty much thought 80% English, 20% Czech. Okay. Now, you know, it depends. When I was working for American companies, I was 70% English, 30% Czech. Now I've been working for a Czech company for a year. So that sort of switched like 50-50. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's impressive. Oh. <laughs> um, well, I have a question about the, the 300 euros. Like, is that a lot of money or like did that fund the whole tour or just kind of like you're going um, or like i was a little like confused by that well 300 euros got us pretty much gas money and a little bit of food money for a week yeah so that's like 330 bucks american yeah but keep in mind it's 2012 so you know you're taking trains going further right? I mean, were you no, no, no. We were driving, driving actually. You're we were driving, driving because oh, okay. one of the riders, uh, he was off age and had a car, so just all five of us would pile into this old Volvo and just drive. <laughs> we didn't nice. even have hotels or anything. We would like literally, I, I'd sleep in the car sometimes, or we would just sleep on literally on 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 like a field in a field somewhere, and it was wild, like really wild. But I, I trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. That's dope, man. Um, well, dude, I wanted to also get into vinyl just because we talked a lot about that and just kind of uh it, this was a long process for you to start up that company and that's your current project. So what were the beginnings of vinyl? I know you started it because you couldn't give up scootering. Yeah. But what was I mean, just take us through it. So uh Pretty much like 2021. Yeah, I think so. 2021. Uh, I was just leaving my job with UPS, the logistics company. And uh, luckily, I was paid very, very well with UPS. So I was able to pay off all the debt I had. And I pretty much I remember the day when I paid off like the last cent. I was like, okay, now what? Right? I'm I'm in the clear. Do I give up on this or what? So I was like, yeah, fuck it. I don't need scooters for my life. It's just too much work. So I stayed like that for like, I think about three months. And then I was like, yeah, nah, I can't. I have to go back. So are you dreaming about it? Oh, yeah. Did you have scooter nightmares? Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it got got to the point where I would literally like wake up with like a new deck design in my head. No idea how it got there. It was just there. So, uh, I would just by the scooter gods. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, so the the most I do during these three months is just go and work on it, uh, in cat 
just to get it out of my head mm-hmm. just to be sure in case i ever get back into it to have it somewhere and then yeah, yeah i remember uh me and at the time my best friend uh he was like hey um i bought this electric longboard and i'm going to th- i went to this like uh competition on like a an actual like racetrack for cars but they would just ride the, the longboards and i met this dude and he's, he's he can make wheels man and this is uh this is mike or we call him troop uh he is one of, he was one of my best friends in high school and he would even like go to some events help me with analog so he he knew what i was doing with scooters and so i'm like yeah cool and he's like yeah there's gonna be another competition like in a town like two hours away and he's probably going to be there. Want to come? Maybe you can talk to him. I was like, all right, why not? And at that time, I was already like thinking about restarting my activity with scooter brands, but I didn't really know what it could be. And just coincidentally, since this guy was able to make wheels, and I mentioned to Mike like two weeks prior, I'm thinking about wheels as one of the things we could do. Uh, I went there, met the guy. Uh, super charming yeah we could do screw wheels my kid used to ride scooters we tried it whatever so i got some samples made and they were awesome but the contact with them wasn't that great and i felt you know how you when you meet somebody and they're nice and everything but something tells you to not trust them like that was that specific moment i was like all charisma yeah yeah and he, and he, like, in Czech Republic or in Eastern European Slavic countries overall, we have this idea of um, when we are polite, uh, we say they. And when we're, like, friends, we say they. So it's like you, you, but, like, two different avenues of that. When you're, a bit, when you're in a business relationship, for example, you say they, not they. And he kept wanting to say, to, to, to say they for me, like, as a friend. And I kept going back and forth with him with this. And I was like, why is he doing this? Because usually when people try to do this, I mean, with UPS, I had like hundreds of business meetings. So that was just my personal experience that when people try to do this, they're trying to do that so they can have more control over you. That Mm. you're going to let more things slide because you're already on like a... Because you're friends, your T's. Yeah, Yeah, That's my T. Exactly. So... uh, Nah, I, v, I, slow your roll. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but uh, I just I just caved in. I was like, okay, fuck it. Let's see where this goes. So he delivers the first prototypes, and they're cool. We love them. So I order a small run, literally like 30 wheels or whatever. And he's like, okay, they're going to be done in a month. Well, fucking two months later, they're still not done. And he tries to weasel out of everything and... Every time I try to hold him accountable for something, he flips it on me. So it's my fault. So I'm like, yeah, fuck this. I'm going to do this on my own. I was like, it can't be that hard, right? Well, shit. <laughs> Famous last know. words. Yeah, yeah. can't be yeah. that hard, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, at the time, I just met this BMX dude that was an engineer. And I told him about the idea. He was like, yeah, I'm down to do it with you to help you out and shit. So he dropped some molds. Uh, I started just Googling polyurethane manufacturers and came up with one of them and realized they have an office in Czech Republic. So I literally straight up called up the office. I'm like, I'm this, this, and this. I need this. Can you help me out? And the lady's like, yeah, well, I just do like the accounting and shit. So I really don't know. 
but give me your email address and I'm going to give it to the, to the people abroad and um, they can, they're going to get in touch with you. So one of the people from that country got in touch with me. And sorry for censoring this, but this is all pretty confidential stuff. But yeah, one of the guys got in contact with me. We had a, we had a call like we have now where I explained to him what we need. So he gave us this like uh, five part system that we could use. So, so just samples of it. So we just start working on that. I got some molds done here locally. They cost an arm and a leg, but uh, we got it done. So we start messing around with it and it was just a shit show. Like it, it, it wasn't anywhere near like a wheel. It was just a blob of something. So half the time it didn't even go solid properly and stuff. So then I, I went back to the drawing board, flew to one of the, one of their, one of their offices abroad where they have like a testing lab where they test all the products and help customers out. So I was able to pour some wheels there, but then we started having dehubbing issues. So uh, long story short, uh, after about a year, we got to the point where we realized that this five part system really isn't for us. And there was an, an alternative that was in five parts, it was less. So we start working with that. And all of a sudden we get to the point where, okay, the wheels are not perfect by any means, but it's starting to look like a wheel at least. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we kept trying it out and keep in mind, um, at this time I'm working as a key account manager for an American logistics company. So I have like five major accounts to take care of during the day. So I wake up at eight, work until five, eat some food, leave at six for my parents' house for their garage, where we were doing this stuff, start pouring at like seven 30 and then go back at like 1 a.m. And we did this for three or four months straight. Jesus. And you're like, just like whipping up molds, right? Like you're like trying to figure out your thing, yeah. consistencies. Yeah. and Exactly. We would literally pour one wheel a day to try and see where the process can be improved. What's causing, for example, we had huge issues with bubbles at first, mm -hmm. right? So um, that went on for a while. And then I got to the point where I was like, okay, uh, it's not really working out. And with that engineer friend of mine, uh, he was getting frustrated. I was getting frustrated because, I mean, he's an engineer, so he likes everything exactly how they mm -hmm. say it should be done. And I'm something between person with like an, an, an engineering hobby and a creative person. So for me, it's getting a feel for the material and then going by the feel. Yeah. So uh, he he yeah he's like, hey dude, sorry I'm out. You know, like I can't do this anymore. It's taking up too much time for from me as well, and I just can't see this happening. So just like with analog, uh, there was a point of like, oh fuck, I'm on my own now. But uh, we got to the point where the wheels were nearly there, literally nearly there, and there was this one thing I wanted to change in the process, and he wouldn't let me. Uh, in essence, it was just increasing the temperature in one of the stages, like 10 degrees. And he was like, no, 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 definitely not. That's not how the manual says it should be done. I'm like, but dude, like I have a really good feeling about it. Let's try this. No, 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 no way. So he leaves. I'm like, fuck it. I'm on my own now. I can actually try it. So I tried it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. <laughs> I literally remember the day when I took out the mold, broke it open. I was like, perfect wheel. 
It's like, yes, we got it. Yeah. Dude, that's so, gotta yeah. be the greatest feeling in the world. What did it take? Uh, five months? Four or five months? Well, Maybe. nearly two years. Nearly two two years. years. Oh, okay. When you were yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. I mean, yeah, yeah, to get that wheel. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. And how long one. of molding two years of molding in your parents' basement? Oh my God. Keep in mind, I, we would be out, like both of us, we, we'd be there any like time of the year, whether that be now when it's literally fucking snowing, or whether that be in summer when you were working working with the ovens that are literally hot as hell. So you would mm. be sweating through everything you would be wearing. And we would have to set up and pack away everything every time. So it would be like an hour and a half of straight just setting it up. Three hours of pouring, another hour of packing everything away. Damn. Every Jeez, day. Man. Every week for like two, three days off, like straight after each other. And then like a weekend off, first two yeah. days off, and then again, three days in a row. So um, oh yeah, it God. was an incredible feeling, but it was a journey. And the thing is that I self-funded everything. So I, so I I put all my savings into this. There was a I remember specifically. I remember that one point where I was just sitting behind behind the computer with an invoice from like a local manufacturing company because in the beginning we would do cores here locally, mm-hmm. for realizing that we can do, get better quality material and better quality cores in China. And I remember when I was looking at that invoice and comparing it to my bank account balance, and after sub, sub, subtract subtracting everything I needed to live live that uh, month because I was I was living with my with my ex-girlfriend back then so we would split the bills a little bit and we would have this budget so I took the money from my bank bank bonds sent it to our our joint account and I literally had five dollars extra after I would pay this invoice and I was like shit <laughs> I guess I should I should decide if I really want this because yeah. like Five dollars is not really much, and if shit hits the fan, I have big issues. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I pulled the trigger, uh, and and I mean, I was in this situation numerous times during this journey. Yeah, where I would literally like budget budget like money per day, so I would have to survive, so I could survive, and then anything else I had on top of it would go into the company. But wow. yeah, after after two years, we had we had the first Goodwill, and at that point. I just went to my parents because our relationship got a lot better than it was when I left Berlin. Uh, and I was like, Hey mom, Hey dad. So I got this perfect wheel because they were, they were with me throughout the whole thing. So they've seen my tries and my failures and they were like as, as emotionally invested in it as, as I was, because they've seen me come with like, Oh, it went well this time. I really think this is, this is it. And then coming back 20 minutes later, with like just a blob of material on a core and like, nope, not again. It's not it, you know? So I was able to borrow some money and uh, it wasn't much, but it was just enough for me to order the first batch of cores from China and molds. And yeah, we started pouring and it was doing where we're doing better and better and better. But keep in mind at this stage, we were able to pour like three wheels at a time. Yeah. Um, so when you actually want to pour a bigger amount of wheels, when you're pouring three at a time, it takes a long ass time. So uh, I was still at the stage where I'm, I'm able to make wheels, 
I'm able to make nice wheels that feel good, but I'm nowhere near able to like produce wheels in the numbers I need to just supply shops with, right? So yeah, I did that for a while. Uh, a lot of testing, a lot of hyping up, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, until a month ago, I was still pouring three at a time. So I would spend the whole day and end up with like 20 wheels. Damn. But yeah, I mean, yeah, still pretty good I mean, for doing You're doing everything on your it own. It is what man. it is. It took, yeah. it, took, it took a lot of work, but uh, right now we're able to pour a, a lot more at a time. I'm not going to say how many, but a lot more at a time. And we're just, we're just pumping it out in bulk. And I went to Switzerland uh, to see Andreas, which is Wonder Crab, which is one of our team riders. Mm. I delivered some wheels there. Uh, and I've seen I, just the reaction from people that I've seen just was like, okay, this is going to work. People are really excited about this. Everybody was like telling me, you know, how excited they are about, about the wheels that are going to buy them, that they have the, their local shops. They're going to talk to their shops and stuff like that. So I came back from Switzerland and I was like, okay, let's, let's do it. I received the course from China. I set up a B2B, uh, talked to a few shops and yeah, we're here. We're sitting here two and a half, three months later. We're completely sold out. Fuck yeah. So, Congratulations. We good. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's probably, it's probably an awesome feeling and some great motivation to just keep doing what you're doing, you know, kind of like. That yeah. validates that you're on the right path, at least. It is a great feeling, don't get me wrong, but it is a lot of pressure as well because now, now it's not about me pushing wheels onto people. It's people pushing onto me to get wheels. And most, like 95% of the time, it's just me making the wheels. Like the recipe is right here. You know, I'm like Coca-Cola. Like nobody else knows the recipe but me. Yeah. So Don't take uh, the Coke out. <laughs> keep that shit in there yeah so for me it's just a matter of streamlining the process and being able to make these wheels at a scale that i'm comfortable with and keeping the quality as good as it is because i really pride myself in the fact that every single wheels goes through a hand of at least one rider and if the wheel is not up to par for whatever reason then it's just not going out to the customer Right. So we, I literally have buckets of blam wheels that are completely rideable. For example, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to see it. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. So it's not focusing. Yeah. Never I mind. mean, we can see it, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a little blurry. I mean, we can, we can, you know, edit, edit something in or whatever, but uh, pretty, pretty much the, the, yes, idea we is, <laughs> the idea is that this wheel is perfectly rideable. Put it on the screen. But there is a little bit of release agents stuck to the course, or it's like white marks, white streaks on it, not going to the customer. Not so, gonna what do you sell them? What do you plan on doing with those wheels? Uh, I mean, for one, you boys are going to be getting some. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you're, you're actually, I'm actually going to go through like the bucket. Um, <laughs> I'm actually going to, I'm going to go through the bucket and like literally just give you a selection of colors and all that. See, so, so the most, for example, this colorway has never seen the light of day yet. So it's a, it's a pretty, this is pretty much like a blue, like Yindra Butal signature wheels with a dark purple. So this Where? is one of one in the world. 
Oh yeah. 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 So I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna do that for you boys. So you, you have some some different Dude. colors to try out and maybe Love show that. off in the podcast. Yeah. Um, is there any chance we could get an extra set of blims to give away for free? Um, I would be more than happy to do that. Yeah, Sweet. Let's, do that. Let's, let's do like Appreciate. a call out post on Insta or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shout it out. Giveaway. Yeah. Actually, actually, uh, let me see real quick because I was filming a video with Christian Albrecht. Uh, he went to the States, so you probably know him. Yeah. And uh, we poured a very limited edition of Wheels, which is even darker purple than this and on the black core. And what we could do, uh, we could, I could send you a pair of those because there's only three or four pairs in the world. So it's a little bit more exclusive. And I got two of the same color. That's the main thing. Oh, so damn. We could, yeah. We could, Full we could pair. do that giveaway. Like exclusive oh, yeah. Christian Albeck. Heady giveaway. Oh, yeah. yeah. The lean wheels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna give you, I'm just gonna send you a bunch of them, and you can do whatever you want. If you want to do two giveaways, be my guest. Fuck yeah. Well, hey, we'll do one yeah. for YouTube, and then we'll do a little collab post. But if y'all, whoever makes it this far, if you want a wheel, comment down below. If you're on Spotify, come to YouTube, subscribe, <laughs> like, turn the notifications on. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. That'd yeah. be dope. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm definitely hyped to just try a pair, honestly, myself. You know, the, the the thing is that, like, people, when they see them for the first time, they usually say, oh, they look nice. But you can yeah. see that they think, oh, just another scooter wheel. But when mm -hmm. they put them on, uh, we're using a completely different material that's never been used in scootering or in, yeah, in scootering in general. Like, nobody's ever done that. It's a completely yeah. different kind of polyurethane that's a lot harder to work with compared to what brands like, AO, Ethic, Proto, whoever are using at the moment. So you're going to be surprised how soft the wheels are, but they're still really fast. If you would, if you would go this soft, like these are with like a regular style of polyurethane, there wouldn't be nearly as fast and they would probably wear down in like a month. So uh, I can't wait to try them. I mean, you know, it's 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 going to be very interesting for me to see what you guys think because we take a lot of care making these. Uh, just just fun fact, it takes twenty four hours for us to go from not having anything to having a complete wheel, because we post cure them for a lot longer than everybody else. It costs more, obviously, but it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, well, that's okay. dope, man. I think wheels have always been something that like when I was on AO or now that I'm on Proto, it's like, I don't ever ask really for bars or decks that often, but like wheels, I've always consistently just ran through. So yeah. shred wheels. Like I feel like I can know like <laughs> what's up with this wheel. I'm, I'm definitely excited to like actually, and I mean, just go let's ride face it. it. Let's face it. It's, it's the wheels that make the feeling of your scooter a lot, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. 100%. Especially so. we're riding on a lot of bullshit out here. I mean, the ground's yeah. like just so. asphalt. Even, I mean, downtown U2 is a bunch of pebbles. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, I'm excited. Um, we tested these in Eastern Europe. There's nothing worse than Eastern Europe for this. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Chernobyl yeah. wheels. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, sick. Yes. Um, 
Well, I had a question about too, like what colors are you able to make? Like basically any that you want and same with the cores or like, do you have any restrictions there? So for colors, for cores, we obviously have to get them made in China first. Yeah. So we do three to four production runs in China every year where we specify what sort of shade of what color. We usually, according to the Pantone color charts, and then what sort of laser etching we want on it. Most most of the time, the, lasers, the laser etching is done in China, but sometimes we even laser etch here locally. So for example, all the Andreas wheels are laser etched by me here in Prague for the oh. first batch. And then when, if it, well, not if it already did, but like when it catches on and we get more orders for them, I'm going to get the laser etching made done completely in China already. So I don't have to like mess around with it. But nope. what I'm trying to say is we're flexible on color for color as long as we have that color in stock. We are 100% flexible on the laser etching. So, you know, you have that outside rim here that has a, that has the laser, laser stuff. And then one of the spokes has our logo. Everything else we can laser here in Prague custom. Oh, yeah. And then for uh, for the polyurethane color, your imagination is the limit, literally. Uh, yeah. I had mixed each shade of polyurethane, so I'm able to control uh, how dark, how light the color should be, what the color should be. I'm able to add like some sort of uh, glitter into it. For example, I tried that work pretty oh, well. Oh yeah, those are sick. Uh, I'm I'm able to even like I'm not sure if I have one of those here. I don't. But I'm able to go half, half, so I can do half black and then pour again, half oh, white, for example. Yeah. I'm not able to go half, half like that, but I'm able to do it like that. Okay. That's hey, sick. comment down below your favorite scooter wheel color, a scooter wheel color that you want to see. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, we're we're even like, we went even to the length of uh, installing Checkmate uh, bearings. Yeah. So oh, yeah. so that's a thing. And even like the, the spacer between the bearings, I I buy like a lot of bulk skate spacers from China. And then I hand grind them to the tolerance because there's about 0.2 millimeters of difference between what it needs to be and what it usually is. And each yeah. of them is different. So I literally go to the grinding disc with each spacer and go down to 10.05 to 10.1 millimeters. So, so when you actually shake it, it's not going to rattle. That's sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm so much attack. autistic when yeah. it comes to wheel grinding. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want my that wheels to be dope. on the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the wheels. Uh, oh yeah. You know, one of, one of the last things I want to point out, uh, let me actually show you. So I have this, I have this old core here and you see how shiny it is. Mm-hmm. So usually this is how you get it for when, when you get Chinese wheels at most, they're going to make little ridges in it, but it's this sort of shiny. What we do is we sandblast them, but not using sand, but we're using um, like a ground up slag from a steel foundry. Mm-hmm. So when you picture it, picture like a volcano rock ground up into little pebbles and then okay. shot at high velocity against the aluminum. And you, what you get is pretty much like a grip tape feel 
on the outside and we about double to triple the the surface area of it and then we apply like a chemical primer that eats a little, eats away a little bit on the aluminum and also on the polyurethane and just joins them together so you not only have like a mechanical bond with having like ridges and stuff here but you also have the chemical one so i'm i'm happy to say we had zero d hubs of the republic wheels and but, we yeah. and we are around number 500 by now so sweet yeah that's killer yeah all right enough of me trying to sell vinyl wheels sorry about yeah. that <laughs> yeah no you're good Buy the fucking wheels. Yeah. And use <laughs> our discount you. code. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you can go on the website and order them. Unfortunately, I'm probably going to put up some blems on the website. So okay. combine that with a discount yeah. code. You're going to get a really good deal on yeah. those. Yeah. But I was going to say. In terms of like the regular wheels, I literally last night I packed the last order for a shop and I had to send them an email today that I'm short a few pairs because I'm completely sold out. Hell yeah. So yeah, hopefully in the spring. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Well, uh yeah, that's discount it. code 104. T-E-N-F-O-U-R. All right. 104 for 10% off. That just goes together. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. But yeah, that was gonna say already, like you should definitely. I know like Andrew, he sells his blim wheels for a cheap rate because it's like you may as well. Like most of the time when I ask for wheels from him, I'm like, just send me a fuck ton of blims. Like I don't even care. Yeah. And I know like he'll send me a lot more than he would the regular ones anyway. So I mean, there's blems and blems. For example, I have this one here. Uh I'm not sure if you're gonna be able to see it. But what probably not. But what, what I'm what I'm trying to show you is that around the this ridge, the mm-hmm. uh, there isn't there isn't enough polyurethane. So there's like there's this dip where it's just missing and it's not flush with the core. So these blems I have to refinish and maybe pour again later. But there is blems that have cosmetic blems or a small bubble or whatever. So those will be available on the website uh, before Christmas for sure. Yeah. Right. Fuck yeah. That's dope, man. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we could uh parlay into Phil's top 10 now if you want, Paxson. Yeah, shout out Phil. Shout out Phil as always. Dope. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um we got number 1. Uh if you're ready for it, who is the Michael Jordan of scootering? Oof. Michael Jordan of scootering. The MJ. R. Willie. Hell yeah. He's a solid uh, one. Yeah. Minus, minus the controversy though, because R. Willie is like the nicest person you're ever gonna meet. So I didn't yeah. even heard about an R. Willie yeah. controversy. Uh no, I mean the the Jordan controversy. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, apparently Jordan it was Clark. a scumbag. Yeah, I actually watched a reel about that the other day. Yeah. <laughs> about Jordan Clark? Michael Jordan. Oh <laughs> no. Uh, Asking some <laughs> dude to pay him fifteen grand uh, to take a picture. Yeah. Some shit. That's crazy. So yeah, definitely R. Willie. I mean, that dude has done so much for the sport. And it's one of those people that I feel like are just still super underrated, even though he has he's got the exposure on the outside of the sport. Yeah. I feel he's got nowhere near enough exposure and gratitude from the community. So Yeah. I mean, just put us on, put scooters on the map for the masses. Let's face this. I mean, sure, Andrew Broussard, he wrote uh, the Mini Mega or whatever as the first person, I think. Yeah, and, he did. And props for that. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, our Willie literally like showed off scootering to so many people. It's not even funny. Yeah, he's the first scooter celebrity. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the sure. he's definitely the first scooter rider that signed like a multi million dollar deal. So, shout out our Willie. Please come on our Crazy. podcast. Willie, <laughs> ride my wheels. <laughs> we'll get them together, bro. Oh, that would be a dream. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, anything's possible. Um, all right, well, dude, number two. Um, and I want you to talk your shit because I know it's in there. Is what do you think the worst trend in scootering is? Oh man. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you you guys are you guys even ready for this? <laughs> yes, uh, I'm pretty ready. <laughs> I mean, the worst trend in scootering. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna separate the answer to like two parts. So number one, the trend that's within like the scooter community, mm-hmm. uh, that be Instagram. I'm sorry, people okay. are just way too focused on social media. Uh, fun fact: uh, the reason why Andreas Wondercrab is on vinyl and has signature wheels is not because of Instagram. It's because I saw his edit on Trendkill. Yeah. And just fell in love with the whole thing. Messaged him like 10 minutes later. The next day we talk and he's on. Yeah. It's like Hell that yeah. fast. And yeah. then it took, I think it took <laughs> three or four months before I offered signature wheels to him. Because I had I had a good feeling about him. And I wasn't wrong. Shout out Andres. Another, another dude that you should put, you should like have a podcast with. Because he is the number one influence in Switzerland right now. And doing like, he's organizing the street jams and everything. And like the amount of work he puts into it, not just the street jam, but the community overall is crazy. Like he even had like a video premiere in a cinema, like a proper fucking cinema. So fuck yeah, that's sick. So yeah, that would be probably like the community. And then the industry overall, I'd say there's two that I really, really don't like. Number one is just the, the extreme drop off of riders past 20. That is the number one reason why the industry is struggling sometimes and why we have these scooter kids sort of calling the shots for so many brands and why we don't have that like culture being held up to what it's it's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, I get it. You know, life happens. You get a girlfriend. Sometimes you even get a kid already. But come on, you know, like don't drop off like that. Uh, There is... I mean, I understand it for, for, for a bit. I understand it because there isn't a lot that the industry can offer at the moment for the older rider. Yeah. There really isn't. Because majority of the parts are, are small as fuck, right? Like bars are just tiny. I'm 189, 190 centimeters. So over six feet, I think that would be. And like, if I didn't make my custom bars, I'd be struggling big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then again, until a few years ago, decks were just small as well. Like I can't ride a five when my foot is 45 size 45. Mm, Like, come on, you know, my, when I put my, when you put your foot on a 45 degree angle, it shouldn't overhang anywhere on the deck. And with a five, it still does for me. So, um, I ride a seven now and it's at, at that point, I'm like, yes, finally, you know, it's something that, uh, that I can ride. Yeah, I can't ride anything under yeah. six. 
I feel like it's how people identify with scootering too, or a lot of people, like a lot of people when they're young, they want to make it like some, I don't know, career or some shit. They want to be sponsored. They have these big dreams. Um, and they expect too much from it, but it's like, it should just be, I don't know. It's a, it's a format to have fun and meet friends and stay active more than it is like a platform to fucking get anything from just cause they're scootering's too small to like expect too much. And it's like, and you see it so much more in skateboarding where it's like people identify with it so hard. They'll never put it down. Like they'll always identify as a skateboarder and they'll want to keep skating, even though they know damn well, they're not going to be pro. They're not going to fucking win medals or do all this shit, but they just love identifying with being a skateboarder. Whereas like, I don't think scootering has that. Like a lot of people don't want to identify with being a scooter rider. Definitely. Definitely. I I mean, there's like an aesthetic to it. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a vicious circle because when you think about it, why don't people want to identify as scooter riders? Because the industry is made out of 14, 15 year old kids, little kids. Yeah. It's like, why is it made out of 14, 15 year old kids? Because the riders drop off Mm -hmm. and it just repeats itself. So I mean, I I definitely understand why people want to get, be sponsored and all that. I mean, we all have that. Let's face it. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, being sponsored in scootering, unless you are at the top level, is nowhere near what people think it is. Number one, I've been sponsored as well for a bit. I mean, obviously I was like Flow or M, but uh, it's not what you think it is. And for me working on my own scooter company even though it was a lot harder and a lot more stressful gave me more satisfaction than being sponsored doing shit for the community gives me more satisfaction than being given shit from the community yeah and like if half of the people that want to get sponsored would think oh what can i do to make the the community better then I'm telling you not that many people would be dropping off because all of a sudden something special would start happening and when people do those things because they want to and not because they are looking to get something out of it, that makes wonders. Yeah. Yeah. Amen, so, brother. I guess that's the number same one thing. thing. I, that's the number one shitty. You're working a lot harder than us though. Like fucking going all out and and not asking for anything in return and then having riders asking you to sponsor them and give them like a thousand euro salary a month. Like, yeah, yeah good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just unrealistic, man. And we did all have those dreams. I, I definitely, when I was 15, 16, thought I was like, I'm going to get sponsored by the time I'm done with high school. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to need a job. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then hey, but you know, like, this, life hits. Like, like if, yeah, exactly. But if there is like one way to make this a reality, it is to make the industry more friendly towards older riders. Mm-hmm. Because it's the older riders that are willing to spend more money on parts. It's not the kids because the kids are not paying for it. It's their parents usually. Mm-hmm. So you get stuck in this niche market with, for example, decks, right? Decks under 200 euros because parents don't want to buy anything more over than 200 euros. And then obviously, I mean, there's only so much margin you can have on a scooter part when you want to sell it retail 200. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like my my number one ask of anybody in the industry is just like settle down, look around you, see what can be improved, and then do something about it. And when you when everybody starts doing that, in a year, year and a half, 
all of a sudden we're going to start attracting the older riders. They're going to start staying because there's jams, there's events, there is what, whatever you want, premieres. Mm -hmm. Because I want to go to a scooter video premiere and get drunk with my friends. That's yeah. what I would love to do. Yes. Right? <laughs> as long as you're off age, of course. Yeah. But like, I can't. I had to I had to drive all the way to Switzerland to do that because mm -hmm. there's maybe one or two premieres here a year at most. And usually they're not the kind of premieres I want to go to anyway. So, yeah, no, 100%, dude. And you have so many skate events where it is like everybody's 20 plus easy. And then there's a lot of people in their 30s, 40s that like to be spectators and do it. Whereas a lot of scooter events, it's like, I mean, if I was 40, year, 40 years old, I'd feel pretty fucking weird around a, like the the people that are at these events because it is it's younger kids and then blah, blah 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 now it's like i mean it is getting older so that is good to see i mean the austin I mean, jammers yeah, older yeah. Folk. Um, i mean part of the problem is also the fact that like a lot of the organization behind the scenes is literally ran by parents yeah or what i call karens just I'm a scooter mom. I'm going to make your industry great. I'm going to organize this and that. And then you just look at it and you see them just using it as a, as a cash grab, nothing else. Mm -hmm. One of the examples, and I don't know all the details, don't get me wrong, but just my personal perspective, while I'm this honest already, I might as well go all the way. When I've seen the Australian ASA, whatever the fuck that was supposed to be, and like oh, yeah. them building the skate park literally like a day before. How the fuck are we letting this happen? Seriously. Like, I get it. A lot of the the people taking part were young kids and whatnot. But how are we like we as an industry need to come together and put up a big middle finger to people like this and literally boycott it. Mm -hmm. One of the riders that were one of the people that was really vocal about this was Ray. Uh, Ray runs the, I think it was Scooter Rider on Instagram. Uh, he runs the German meme page, right? Where you see all okay. the Germans getting pissed drunk in Barcelona and shit. It's funny as hell. But uh, he was very vocal about this. And he got, like, there were, and, like, the people probably man manipulated, like, a fuck ton of kids to report him on Instagram. And he had, he had like, a ban for two weeks just for speaking out about this. Yeah. How is this okay? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. That is ridiculous, man. I didn't know that's actually what happened is they filmed the park the day before the contest. and It was something ridiculous like that. Because yeah. I remember, they. I think they canceled like two qualifiers like two days prior. And like a day prior to the contest, they were still building it. And when you look at it, I, I think at least, I'm, don't mm. quote me on that, but I think the ramps were from the old Monster Skate Park. Just start somewhere and then just put on a flat piece of ground and just bolt mm. it together. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, just why why yeah you know? <laughs> there's there's so many brands out there and so many people that would be down to organize contests and, and cannot because the people in charge won't let them because they are controlling the money and for example i had this idea of doing like an invitational contest that would be live streamed here in czech republic for five years now but when i was doing like the rough calculation how much money would actually cost and how many sponsors I would actually have to get on board. I realized that it's not viable because Czech Republic is a small country. It doesn't have the reach. It doesn't have like that sexiness of the UK or France. Mm -hmm. So 
how know, much do you think it costs to put together a contest like that? I mean, it it depends, right? So my idea for the for the invitational was to do it in an indoor skate park in the middle of winter, because usually after Christmas, uh, between Christmas and March, April, there's nothing going on. So we could fill that space, that void with this one contest and make that type of time of the year actually somewhat interesting. And for me, I think it would be about four or 5,000 euros just because you have to rent out that place. I have one or two in mind that could work like that. Then on top of it, like if you actually, if you're serious about this, you will want to have an ambulance on site. Yeah, That's yeah. just how it is, you know? Um, so that's another 500 euros easy to just have two medics there. I mean, granted, my mother is a doctor, so I could have her there, but, uh, you know, you still need that ambulance if shit goes south to transport the person to the hospital. And then you obviously have the judges, you have the technical staff behind it because I would want to have it live streamed. So you would have at least three, four cameras, <laughs> probably rent it off of people, ideally not off rentals. So yeah, I'm, I think uh, you're talking four or 5,000 euros just to do this. And then on top of it, and which is like the number one thing in order price to money. attract riders, you need to have price money. Yeah. And I'm not talking a thousand euros for the winner. Like that's nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're going to be throwing double flares and whatnot, you want to have, you want, you want them to have at least two grand just for it to make sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I still haven't given up on it. It's still in my head. So I might do it one day, but I'm I'm hoping I can do it as a, as a vinyl invitation one day. So the brand might have enough means to do this on our own without needing other sponsors. Yeah. That'd be sick. That'd be fucking awesome, man. I mean, that definitely is a big one is it just, I would love to see more money in competitions. Yeah. People get pennies for doing crazy shit, like putting their lives on the line. They get pennies. It's not even going to pay for their hospital bill. But I mean, then again, <laughs> you know, this argument of money and good thing that we stumbled upon this because this is like a really interesting thing. I don't know how much time we have left, but um, gone. Uh, when it comes to money in, in scootering, I like, the problem is not that we don't have the money in the industry. We do have money in the industry. The problem is the way it's spent and where it's going. And the money's not in the right hands. I'm thinking how to put this diplomatically. There is a lot of brands out there and I'm not going to be specific just because it doesn't make sense to be specific because I would call out one, but there's so many other that wouldn't get called out that are not owned by riders and don't get me wrong being owned being rider owned is nowhere near the recipe for a good scooter brand and people need to understand this there's plenty of shitty rider owned brands that are doing a worse job than corporate owned brands but when you look on the big uh, on the top end there is so many corporate owned brands pushing product sponsoring riders yeah they're paying the riders maybe 600 euros, a thousand euro salary. But then again, uh, since they are so big and since they're taking up so much of the market, they're taking away the profit from those for themselves that could be going into rider owned or rider friendly companies, right? They're doing it for the right reasons. So usually these are the brands that are just doing sports equipment overall, selling in Walmart and all that. And then they have create a brand you know, probably can put two and two together who I'm talking about. 
you know, first they try this fucking weird double peg idea. And then all of a sudden, you know, a few years later, they come back with good product. Don't get me wrong. Right. But they flood the market. They flood the market with product at a price point that the smaller brand is not going to be able to afford. And all of a sudden, instead of these smaller brands selling their product and keeping the profit, paying the riders and investing into the community because they know where and how to invest, you have two or three big brands are corporate owned taking up this portion of the market. And that profit is not going back into the sport. They're going to give a salary to a rider because they need the rider to sell the product. But if they didn't need the rider to sell the product, they would never pay him. Yeah. Right. And if I have riders here that are helping me out, not he sometimes even pouring, I had one of the few of the guys even help me pour wheels. Right. And I don't have the money to pay them because there is a brand that goes to China with a $10,000, buys Chinese wheels, slaps a brand branding on it, goes to all the, goes to all the retailers, gives them a great margin to motivate them to sell this. And then takes all that profit and buys a Lambo for it for the owner. Then how the fuck am I supposed to compete with that? Yeah. So that's if we want to get this sport back on the track and healthy, we should literally cut away all these sorts of brands. And again, I mentioned some specifics, so some of you will probably understand who I'm talking about. But it's just one of the examples. And I'm not saying like the people behind these brands are necessarily shit or whatever or bad people. They're businessmen. That's just how business goes. Yeah. But it's our decision that, to support them. It's our decision to keep them in this. And if we didn't do that, then they probably would, they would drop off and, you know, the, the true brands would stay. Yeah. Yeah. The people that actually want to see money back in a scooter. I'm telling you, when, when 10 4, when we're cranking a million a year, I'm not buying a Lambo. Listen, I am not going to buy any fancy cars, any luxuries. No, sir. You know, and there's, there's I can't a see myself doing it. Yeah. There is a difference between like buying a nice car. Cause for example, me buying a nice car was one of the reasons why analog failed because I bought it at the wrong time. Mm. But there's a difference between right, buying a nice car that you earned because you, sp I literally like, so here's, here's, here's a fun fact. When analog was going really well, there was a time when I was that busy that I slept every two days. So Oof. I would go 48 hours go to sleep 48 hours go to sleep because i just couldn't keep up otherwise it was just me doing it so thanks to that i had i have a uh, sleep apnea so i stopped breathing during the night so i have to sleep with a mask jesus so that's the that's the level of effort i had to put in so the, in my opinion there's nothing wrong with me then buying an audi that i did right yeah. it was secondhand whatever but it was something nice that i wanted to have Sure, the timing was shit, and that's on me. And I know that that's where I made my mistake. But if the timing wasn't wrong, there's nothing wrong with me buying something like that. Yeah. But I was I wasn't in a situation where I had a fuck ton of riders doing their best promoting my product, not getting paid. Yeah. Right. I wasn't in a situation where I was literally like milking the industry for hundreds of thousands of euros, and then buying a Lambo and not supporting a single contest. Yeah. That's like if 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 anybody gave, for example, Broussard or KKA or Surreal shit for buying a brand new BMW. Why the fuck wouldn't they? Like they earned yeah. that shit. That's blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, you're not just stamping a logo. You know, yeah. 
playing the game. I have, I have plenty of things that I disagree with, for example, with Andrew Broussard or whoever else, right? But you cannot take this away from them. They did a fuck ton for the industry and they would deserve something like that. So you convinced me. Okay, I'll probably buy a Lambo at some point. Um I can send you like a toy model of a Lambo if you want. Yeah, that should hold me over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, but like, no, nah, man, you make great points. It's just people, uh, the money's gone in a lot of the wrong places just because they are good at business. They got good business models, but they're not in it for the right reasons. They, they just, they're in it for making money, which I'm never going to say making money is going to be a bad reason. But, uh, you know, it's just we want to see money where it's going to actually grow the sport. And then there's more opportunities to make even more money when there's like more people that are doing it. There's hey, people that are going to keep doing it. The easiest way to help mitigate this issue, and I really want to stress this, maybe we could even like put it as a title or whatever, like go buy directly from the brands. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying stop buying from your local shop by any means, because the local shops are usually the ones that are sort of supporting the local culture. But go, if you, when you go and buy from a shop, half of the money you spend stays with the shop and the other half goes to the distributor or the brand, depending on how they do the business. When you go and buy directly from the brand, all that money goes to the brand. So if you see a brand that, for example, is struggling the best way to help them is to go buy direct from them, right? And if people did this, half the time they're buying scooter parts. If they did one time buying directly from the brand, other time buying from a shop, then trust me, it would be a lot better. And for example, when you go and look at the retailer space, for example, here in Europe, so many people are buying from people like Skate Pro. Well, little, and I worked with Skate Pro. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. But not that many people know that Skate Pro is in Toronto. So what they do is they buy from brands like Enlock used to be. They act like they're a distributor in Europe. And while they're helping out those brands big time because they're able to sort of give them money up, up front for productions and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where they make it <clears> up <throat> like twice, three times as much is the fact that they buy these products at a distributor price. So that's... I'm going to illustrate it on, a, on an example of $10, right? A product costs $10. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a brand and I make a product for $10. bucks. i am going to sell it to the distributor for $20, right? Then the, uh, then the distributor buys it at $20, uh, slaps another 20%, 30% on top, sometimes even 50%. So let's say it's the worst case scenario, 50%. So they buy at $20, sell to the shops at $30, but then when you have that uh, uh, that shop price 30 bucks, you have to sell retail 60 because the shop always gets 100%. So all of a sudden, they, a Centrano buy for 30 or 20, sorry, they buy for 20. And then they, through Skate Pro, sell at 60. While every other shop buy, buy, buys for 30, not 20, 30, and sells at 60. See how fucked up that is? Yeah. And that's, that's, for example, who Tilt is doing business through. No shots against Tilt. Just saying, just putting it out there. Tilt, Proto, River, North, Apex, all these brands go through Centrano and Skate Pro. So literally any shop out there that's selling these brands product is making less money on it 
than Centrano and Skate Pro. And things like this should be fucking illegal because it's just causing a monopoly. Because then Skate Pro can go and discount everything by 10 bucks. And they're still going to be making the same money like the shop selling it as a usual at, at the usual rate. And they've done this in the past. So go figure. So support your local shops, shop directly from brands. Let's get these guys out of the business for a bit because it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, and I know guys... I'm going to catch a lot of flack for this and I don't care. Yeah. I'm if anybody bought something is. off of a uh, skate pro for cyber Monday, you weren't actually going to deal. <laughs> now, nah, I mean, I mean, let's put it this way. Like skate pro does support the scenes. Let's like, let's make that clear. Like, They've they made do. some of my favorite videos. They funded yeah. some of my favorite videos. Like it's like, not, it's not, down. it's not like they're doing everything wrong. What I'm not, I'm not taking shots at them personally. I'm taking shots at that business idea. Yeah, no, I see what you, it, it makes a monopoly, man. It's of um, buying at a distributor rate and selling at a retailer rate, right? And then using that to sort of outcompete the competition because that's just an unfair advantage. Yeah. So yeah, that's my portion of causing issues for myself for for the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We love no, you, Skate Pro. Um, <laughs> we'd like to get you some T-shirts, maybe some wheels. Yeah, yeah, watching yeah. this if you say no man y'all suck you guys need to get your distribution <laughs> prices up to the retail prices and make this a fair fight but uh on that note uh number three most underrated rider Oof, most underrated rider um give me a second my dog just wants to go out on the balcony i guess samuel kudela one of our riders from slovakia Oh uh, shit! Is that dude does like the full whip back fifties and all that? Yeah, he's sick. Yeah, he like fun fact like he's from a city that's just a shithole in the middle of Slovakia. And keep in mind, I'm half Slovakian, so nothing against that country at all. But like the east, the more east you go, the shittier it gets. So anything like if you like if you go any more east, if like right before you get to Russia, there's only Ukraine. And then you're in Russia. So it's that like geographic position. But like he really doesn't have the conditions that you would think he would have considering the level of, of his riding. Because he's hitting all these jackass fucking street spots, rails that are like above hip height. And he hops into them in a 50 and full whips out of it like it's nothing. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> it's probably Samuel. Yeah, Samuel. And then. Uh, obviously, I got a shout out my boy Indra, Indra Butal. Uh, he has the blue signature wheels with us. It's a very similar story with him. I mean, his conditions are a little better just because he's in Czech Republic and we have a little bit better conditions here overall for, for scooter riding. But yeah, he's a, he's a very technical, in my opinion, also a very underrated rider. Um, so that would be Czech Republic. Overall, Pep Bea is another one. He just dropped a video where he really showed his skills, and I'm really happy about that. So maybe he's not going to be as underrated anymore, but that would be probably uh, another one. And then for Germany, maybe Philipp Lesch. Uh Not sure if you guys heard of him, uh, but he used to ride for Chile, Analog, and Vinyl for a bit. He now works for the for the German shop Neonbox. Shout out Neonbox. Hit us up. We still got wheels for you. But uh, he now runs their marketing on whatever, so he's not as active as a rider anymore. 
But back in the day, like he would kill it, and not that many people would know him. So, fuck yeah. It, so yeah, those people probably. Yeah, there's some writers for y'all to look up. To do your homework. Yeah. Um. Well, number five is suggestion to. Oh no, wait. Excuse me. Number four. Did you learn tail whips or bar spins first? <laughs> oh, definitely tail whips. But uh, fun fact. I'm not sure, like, if you probably look up look up my name on YouTube, you can see one of my videos and see me tail whip. But my tail whips are super weird. Uh, in the beginning, I used to even kick myself in the butt because my back foot just folds when I do them for some fucked up reason. Yeah. So when you, for example, think uh, Joel Wesma Irvin from Australia, where he does these tail whips, like, off-center. So something similar to, oh, poon. Poon has a very similar yeah. tail whip to mine. That's what I was thinking. The butt. Oh, yeah. yeah. So so yeah, definitely tail whips. And I landed on my foot when I when I did my first tail whip. I'm pretty sure I broke something in it as well. So yeah. <laughs> Man, and people say scootering's easy. I mean it's easier to start <laughs> doing tricks, but then Absolutely. to get to be actually good, it's so much harder. Yeah. That's what I say. I say skating has a harder learning curve. I'd say both skating and bikes have a harder learning curve, but then it all levels out. I mean, um, from, from in, in my opinion, like BMX is probably like the toughest just to just learn stuff because you literally have to send it. Like the yeah, fear factor yeah. there is, I think, the biggest because with skateboarding, you can just kick the board, land on your feet. Same with scooters, but with bikes, getting rid of the bike under you is really hard. True. Great point. Um, you got the list pulled up, Austin. You want to give him number five? Number five is a suggestion to further the sport. Suggestion to further the sport. So number one, I think we should all, there should be some sort of round table with all the scooter brands in Europe, in the US and worldwide in terms of working together, but not as say World Skate Association or something like that, even though they're doing a good job, I think we should have some sort of like an industry association uh, Pierre Camois, uh, he used to he used to work for Fusion and uh, the helmets. Uh, S one, S one. Thank you. He's right. He's just started Scoot Trade, which is like an industry newsletter journal type of thing. So I think we need more of that. Just more brands talking together, exchanging ideas, agreeing on what they're gonna do. Uh, letting maybe the the smaller brands sort of giving them the spotlight for a bit as well. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, we need to sort of rethink the distribution side of the sport because especially with brands like vinyl, you can get to the point where the brand is making less money on a product than a shop. While the shop just buys and sells and markets, the brand manufactures, markets, distributes, warranties, sponsors, all that. And that's just not right, in my opinion. So that's another thing that I think should be rethought because the status quo here has been here ever since the beginning. And I think it's time we sort of look into it. Maybe, you know, not offer as high of margins for the smaller stuff. Just an idea, you know. And then, yeah, obviously we need to have more events and we need to... We need to be more picky in terms of what brands we sponsor because there's too many brands in the in the in the pot right now that are just there just because they're there, not really contributing. So I guess just think more before you buy parts. Don't just look at how they look and how they feel, but who's behind them 
how long they last and how the people behind them actually act and further the sport. So yeah, more due diligence. Oh uh, yeah. Well, uh, I know Austin's got to get to work. Um, I'm going to go get some breakfast as well, but last one, I think this is the perfect question to end it on is what's your favorite moment in scootering Ben? Mm, favorite moment in scootering. There's been two again. <laughs> I'm really shit at having one. Yeah, thing you're good, man. It's okay. Uh, so for me personally, was my trip to Australia and when I visited, uh, Scooter Hut and I, it was the first time I sat on like really like white sand beach and Gold yeah. Coast. And oh, that's yeah. why I was like, shit, I probably made it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I went on, on tour with Scooter Brad for two weeks after, even though I don't agree with what he portrays by now. Back then we were okay friends and it was a fun time. So probably that. And then overall in the sport, hmm, I think that would be, and I'm really not sure if you guys remember it. Uh, remember when there was this, it was one of the biggest, first big contests in D-side in the UK. 20, yeah, 2012, 2013. So it was the beginning of ISA. Okay. Uh, yeah. no, it was like the first yeah. UK yeah. contest with ISA. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to go, but it was the first time that I realized, hey, like this sport is actually pretty big. There's actually so much we can do here. So that would probably be one of my favorite moments. But yeah, I mean, there's so many more from R. Willie, you know, 540 Flare to all these. But yeah. Yeah. The yeah. D side contest was probably for me was like the time when I realized the sport has huge potential. Fuck yeah. yeah. Eye opening. That's that sick, and then yeah. being on the beach with Scooter Brad. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, it's been so nice talking to you. Uh you have a lot of really good insights. Like we've never gotten to talk to somebody about any of this. And I think yeah. it's very eye opening. Cool. So well, thank, you. thank yeah. you guys for the for the opportunity. Uh, before we go, I just want to give a fat shout out to Josh Toy. He helped me with a lot with the U.S. stuff, and I know that he's probably out there listening. So, just a big fat hi and thank you, Josh. Hope to talk to you soon. And yeah, thank you guys for doing this podcast. It's great. We need more people like you, and I'm hoping to become the headline sponsor for Ten Four for 2024. Ooh, 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 Fuck ooh. yeah. Yeah, man, yeah. we'll definitely uh, keep in touch. And yeah, if I didn't have to go to work, I'd say let's keep this going. But with the time change, it's just a You're little good. tough. You're good. Um, but yeah, yeah, let's definitely. I'm I'm hyped to roll with you. And yeah, hey, episode you know, if, thirty if, something. Thirty if anybody's something. In, if anybody's interested in buying blend wheels and whatnot, and just getting their hands on something from us while not paying the full price. Uh, go follow me and message me on Instagram. It's Adrian underscore analog. And, or you can go to Vinyl Scootering and message us through there. And we can always figure something out. I'm trying to hook up as many people for Christmas with blend wheels as possible. I know mm -hmm. the times are tough. So I'm going to make sure that everybody gets hooked up. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you made dope, it this man. far. Thank yeah. you, guys. 10-4. Right. Thank you. Over Bye -bye. and out.